You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Good morning, hello, thank you for listening. This is episode 764 of the Nick Luck Daily Podcast. Charlotte Greenway filling in for Nick today, Thursday the 15th of June. I'll be joined shortly by Racing TV's Jane Mangan and we've got plenty of Royal Ascot content to bring you with interviews from connections of domestic and international challengers. Rod Street of Great British Racing will also be along as National Racehorse Week is confirmed again for this year before Goffs UK's Tim Kent discusses the changes to their two-year-old sales race at York for 2024. Entries for day one of Royal Ascot were published yesterday and a trainer who looks to have a couple of interesting runners on day one and regularly fires in Royal Ascot winners is Charlie Hills, whose team have been in flying form this season and conveniently Nick's been at Charlie's yard this morning so caught up with him for the podcast in between filming. Yeah, well here at Charlie Hills' stable this morning, just watching on as he prepares some horses for, for Royal Ascot and it, could be your best team ever, couldn't it? Uh, it's looking pretty good, yeah. We, we've got a nice number um, and there's some, I think, some nice chances. But, you know, it's like, uh, it's very competitive. And, uh, you know, if we just get one winner, it'd be, it'd be a good week. Uh, but there's some nice chances, you know, and if, hopefully if things go right, um, it might be, might be better. I mean, Cicero's gift, I suppose, is the buzz horse. I mean, for a horse who, yes, he's he's got form and he's looked impressive, but it's not it's not stakes race form as such, and and he's you know nearly the same price as two horses who've won guineas. When you look at that, what do you think? Yeah, uh, it's um, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit surprised really, but you know he's a really nice horse and he's going the right direction. He's unbeaten, and uh, he's a horse that um, just keeps improving and. You know, he has got some decent enough form, I think. Uh, Docklands looks a nice horse that's going for the Britannia. Uh, and then the Roger Varian horse, you know, he's, he's got some good form, a second in the field in and ran a really good race, I thought, at Epsom. Mm. So, and you did thrash those horses? Yeah, yeah, yeah. but it's you know, springtime. You just, you know, things different happen. It's, it's going to be fast ground, so there's been different conditions we've got to cope with. Yeah, and is fast ground an issue, do you think, given that he's one on soft, one on good to soft, one on the poly track? I don't know. I mean, his dad—he's he's so similar to his dad, uh, Muhara. You know, he's got the same action, and he went on all types of ground. You know, so we'll see. I, I think uh, I, I think he'll handle it pretty good, but time will tell. And you feel like now is the time to test him because you were kind of half tempted to run him in the guineas. I was, yep, yeah, I really was, and we we thought long and hard about it, uh, but we wanted to do the right thing for the horse. Uh, like I was saying, you know, I had a horse, Mustasebek, a few years ago that we supplemented after two starts, and it was the it was the wrong thing for for him at the time. So I wanted to try and give him as much more experience um, as we could coming into um, the, you know this top level. Now you've got your old buddy James McDonald here riding work this morning, and you've got him on on Galleron. Uh, he's going to ride him in the in the same race in the St James's Palace. Yeah, he will. Yeah, we just decided yesterday that. Decided yesterday that we'll um, we'll go for the St James's Palace with him. You know, Galeron, he's 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 an amazing horse. He just keeps giving and he's improving. I'm sure he's keep, he's improved um, since his last run. He looks fantastic. 
um, you know, and he arguably got he got a, you know, he t- things didn't go his way in the Irish Guineas. They got a little bit too far back, and they didn't get the I- most ideal run through. And he was probably one of the best finishers um, at the line. So, uh, you know, if, if you just get him in a bit better position early on in the race, you know, he's got a lot to find with Paddington, and Paddington's you know one of the ones we've got to beat. Okay, Mustasabek is a horse who is going to run in the, in the Queen Anne. Uh, could you hope for better than than you got in the Lockinge? Yeah, I think just Lockinge. To me, he ran a little bit flat. Uh, he was so impressive the first time at, at Newmarket, and then unfortunately, because we had to keep taking late loads, um, he had to go and have a stools test. Uh, so he had to go to Lingfield in between the, the, the two week gap. So he had to go to Racecourse three times in three weeks, and I, I just think it all pretty caught up with him. Okay, of the others, Charlie, and you, you run plenty. Who are you? Who are you feeling most most positively disposed towards at the moment? Um, I'm really looking forward to watching Orazio run in the Wokingham. I, th- I think he looks. He's been training really nicely. If any rain comes, it'll really help him. And I think he's got a proper chance. Best of luck. Thanks, Nick. So, Jane, the St James's Palace Stakes. It looks a fascinating contest. We've got there's two Guineas winners in Chaldean and Paddington, and then just heard from Charlie Hills on his chance Cicero's Gift. He's quite a short price, as Charlie alludes. He's quite surprised. But what, what do you make of the race? It's always a good race. I don't expect it to be a big field this year, but you mentioned the clash of the Guineas winners. And, of course, maybe the Guineas second, Isaac Shelby, looked a little bit unlucky in France. We'll find out just how unlucky he may have been, uh, given how he might perform for Brian Meehan on this occasion. Paddington in there, we, I think we don't know where his ceiling lies, and we certainly don't know how high Chaldean can fly, but he definitely deserves to be top of the market. Uh, I felt it was interesting that Al Riffa was still left in the race, despite jo- Joseph O'Brien not mentioning him in today's racing post in his stable tour with David Jennings. I, I, I would imagine it's unlikely that he runs, and David uh, Egan is already jocked up on Charon, so that seems to be a solid um, confirmation for his, his run. But Cicero's gift is, is three from three. He's he's not been tested in stakes company yet. His rating of 92 leaves him... 20 pounds shy um, or even more with Chaldean so he has plenty to find but obviously there's a lot of confidence behind him and just Chaldean they've made quite a bit about in the press uh, about you know he'll be running on much quicker ground than he ever has he's by Frankel do you think that'll be a problem uh, not even with Frankel I think it's a Dutch art um, belief that people think that Dutch art progenies seem to to be better with an ease in the ground. Frankels are versatile just because he's the best sire in the world right now and they can go on pretty much anything. But when he beat uh, Royal Scotsman in, in Newmarket last October, that was on good. Uh, he's won at York on good. I, I don't think he's... Uh, I think he's got the, the most solid credentials for the race and I wouldn't be saying that he'd be benefited by any type, certain type of, of conditions. Now, there is a little bit of rain forecast at the beginning of the week. It'll be interesting to see if that materialises. But I wouldn't say that I'd bank on him if the ground was soft. I just think he's he's the most solid option in the race. And just when I flicked through the entries yesterday, I mean, Willie Mullins, he could be the leading trainer by the end of day one. He's got two hot favourites in there. It's pretty remarkable, isn't it? He is, and we, we'll get on to how remarkable he is a little bit later on in terms of his clash with Paul Nichols in the ring at Goffs a little bit uh, later on after yesterday's uh, Arco sale. But he has secured the services of Ryan Moore, so potentially the world's ba- best jockey with 
one of the world's best trainers and uh you're talking about in 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 royal ascot now this is not march this is not punch of sound this is uh royal ascot he's got the triumph hurdle winner voban uh in the copper horse i remember meeting connections a couple of weeks back and i said oh please throw him into the gold cup you never know what you might uh what you might get if if the race cuts up a little bit more and they said no his handicap mark is too attractive and he's got the ryan moore booked for the copper horse and then of course the ascot stakes ryan moore aboard bring on the knight who was second in the race last year they haven't run him subsequently he's going straight back for the same race uh in the colors of album photo um Mary Donnelly be hoping that she'll be entering the Royal Winners Enclosure, both of them. I think something around 9-4 to four for Vauban, 2-1 to one bring on the night. They're two very interesting contenders from the top, man. And uh, it, just anything else that caught your eye surprised you yesterday? Uh, no real surprises from my point of view. The Queen Anne is always a race that, that, that sets the tone for proceedings and there's been a lot of positive vibes around Inspire's recent work at, at Newmarket, just reading the reports. Uh, on the Racing Post and the, the Thurber Daily News. Modern Games is in there and Mutasabek as well, so that'll keep her honest. But uh, she looked for her first run of the year, seems to be coming to hand at the right time. Um, Bob Slay, the Epsom scorer, is in the, the Coventry with Charlie Bishop already jocked up. Buccaneer Frente and uh, Cuban Thunder, we heard from representatives of Ammo Racing earlier in the week, but I'm a real big fan of Devious Dunico O'Brien's nace scorer on his only start. It'll be interesting to see how he shapes uh, for him in that Coventry Stakes course. Wesley Ward has already jocked up Irad Ortiz for fandom. That son of showcasing likely to go there, but obviously massive entries for the two-year-old races now that they've come in. Uh, lots of reports around the Aussie Sprinters, Cannonball, um, uh, Brett Premble is, is, is jocked up on that one. And, of course, the, the Kool Nagata as well, um, that's in the King stand. So there's there's, there's big entries at this stage, but we've, we've been hearing about these bu- Aussie Bullets and they have form in, in these types of races. And while Highfield Princess is in there, we probably don't have a Batash or, indeed, a Soul Power to repel them this time around. And if the ground turns up quick, they'll be mighty hard to stop. You mentioned Aussie Raider Cannonball there, who goes in the King's stand. And actually, Sam Cunningham was up very early this morning to attend the gallop this morning in Newmarket and caught up with his co-trainer, Peter Snowden, who first reflected on his gallop at Ascot yesterday. I, I, we got a fair bit out of that. He had a good gallop. And just the experience for the horses, uh, yeah, that'd be very beneficial for him come next Tuesday. It's just yeah. been here and done it before. It's a young horse and... Um, he accepted things great yesterday. If he can be the same on Tuesday, we'll be fine. And what does it mean to yourself and the team to have a runner at Royal Ascot this year? Yeah, no, fantastic. We've never had a runner here, and uh, we've always watched it each year. Um, we've seen a lot of Aussies do well here. Um, but just sort of waited for the right horse to bring over. And, oh, yeah. and this this guy sort of fit fit the criteria as far as toughness goes. Is um, I've only had him a short time, and two starts I gave him he won both of them and one was the stakes race he ran very fast time and he backed up a week later in a group one and ran an enormous uh, race um, he's food for thought that he's a bit unlucky not to have won so um, I thought then well, he's a serious horse he had to do it a week after uh, like a career best PB for him I thought well, he's, he's still got the toughness uh, to get over here whether he's got the ability or not we'll have to find out because he's very likely raced and he hasn't yeah. been in that tough arena season sprinters yet and so this is a big ask for him to stand up and do that but um, you know good horses do good things and hopefully uh, he makes his mark here this year 
And who rides him for you in the race? Brett Treble. Uh, Brett is ridden most of his starts actually, and he has ridden here before. He, when he's riding in Hong Kong, he came over and rode for Casper Founds, I think, uh, one year, and, and um, so he's been here ridden before. But he was quite keen to come. He, he uh, when we offered him the ride, he jumped at it. He said no. He, he thought he'd be a worthy contender, and um, he thinks enough his ability to be competitive anyway. And how do you think less than 10 days out he compares to the rest of the field now? Uh, the rest of the field I don't really know. I've only seen videos of them. Um, there's been good horses here, even the other Australian filly. She's very, very good. Um, and I said he wouldn't estimate, underestimate her at all. But um, but I'll go right through the form from now to Tuesday and just each one and just um, pick and choose. Like There's always some bunnies here that run hard early, so I won't be yeah. too inclined to be chasing too hard too early because that little rise yesterday was... I'm glad I've seen it because it looks yeah. pretty peaked. It looks like Mount Everest the last 50 metres, but uh, you'll need to be mindful of that and just try and keep something uh, up Are you a sort of a finisher rather than a... I know your race is on speed. He's the uh, first three, can yeah. tough it out, can tough it out, really yeah. get down and yeah. get down and get down yeah. and tough it out. That's what he does. So, But he needs to keep something up his sleeve there. Like it's able to go in the front, 100 from home there. Yeah, yeah. You need to be yeah. going in the front. Two strides to go. <laughs> so exciting times for you, Peter. Yeah, and no, I'm looking forward to it. As I say, it's a big challenge for him, but um, I think he's got the ability to be certainly competitive anyway. What type of ground do you think he'd be best suited to? Uh, he's been on good ground, um, but I think it, it got to a five or a six, so I wouldn't be too concerned about it. Um, but it got heavy rain, seven, eight, nine heavy tracks. Yeah. That wouldn't be his go at all, no. He's, he's definitely not the same horse on, on yeah. that sort of ground yet. A horse that caught my eye in the entries for day one was Novel Legend in the Ascot Stakes, who was favourite for the Chester Cup, didn't get in and ran in the Consolation Race, where he finished second, probably not getting the rub of the green that day. And actually, having looked into it, he's not the only runner for his Hong Kong-based owner, Mr Ho. And so I put a call into his racing manager, Mark McStay, this morning to find out which of Mr Ho's legends we're likely to see in what could be a really exciting week for the team. Uh, very exciting week, Charlotte. And luckily, Mr Ho is making a trip um, from Hong Kong to see his horses run. So we're delighted to have him over. It'll be his first time attending Royal Ascot. So a really, really, really exciting week. Um on Tuesday, um, James Fanshaw is likely to run Novel Legend for us in the two and a half mile Ascot Stakes. Um, he's been a really progressive, uh, nice staying horse for us um, this season. He's won two of his three starts. He was second in the Constellation race at Chester um, from a poor draw the last time. And then we've waited for this race with him. Um, obviously Daniel Muscat will take the ride he'll actually ride all of Mr Ho's horses this week which is great um, but I would <clears throat> say that if the ground remained on the firm side it's unlikely that he'd run I think we will need a little bit of rain so hopefully some of those sporadic thunderstorms that are forecast will come just to take the the edge out of the ground um, otherwise he, we might reroute to something like the Northumberland Plate but he's he's an exciting horse and I hope I really do hope he take his chance because if he does take his chance um, he you know he, he, I think he'd give a very good account of himself to, you know I don't I don't think he'd mind good ground but it wouldn't want just to be too firm for him so he, he'll be our first runner um, looking to Wednesday James Ferguson is toying with the idea of running uh, the progressive land legend in the Queen's Vase. Uh, he's, an, again, another horse who's been really doing well this year, um, progressed very well for us. He was second to Simon Christopher's chessman over a mile and a half at York. Might be throwing him in a little bit at the deep end off his rating, um, but 
we do think that the trip is is right for him, and we don't, you know, we don't see him. Um, we don't see him let, letting us down. We think he'll give a good account of, of himself, even if there might be just one or two that might be a bit a bit better at this stage. I think by the end of the season, he could be an eyesore. So he, he could go there. The alternative with him is the, the George fifth handicap on Thursday. Moving on to the um, George fifth handicap on the Thursday, um, it's likely that we will have Wonder Legend running there, who was a very impressive winner last time at Doncaster. Um I think he could be our best chance of the week. Um, I think he's a very exciting horse. We purchased him at the Arcana Breeze up sale. He's a sea of stars. We love that sire. Obviously, the same sire as Dovey Legend. Um, got him from Tom and Domara. And we've always liked him. Um, and I think he's he, he is he's a very exciting horse. Um, and, you know, again, probably wouldn't want it too fast, um, the ground. So, again... We watch for a bit of rain, you know, but I think I think we will. He will take his chance, and I think he's a very, you know, he's a very nice prospect for the future. I think you know, he he's won Mister Ho's plans with some of these horses are to take them to Hong Kong and Australia, and I think that horse fits fits the bill very nicely. So, you know, I think hopefully he's a horse that'll be be flying the flag for Legend Racing long into the future. Um, on Friday, then you know, Canberra Legend is going to run in the Edward the Seventh. Um, obviously he was. Our most exciting horse this year. He won the won the field in impressively after winning the Newcastle Maiden. We were hoping that he might be a Derby horse for him, but he, he did fluff his lines at York the last day. Um, kind of, you know, got a bit overwhelmed in the preliminaries. Um, so you know, he's been he, he never shown signs of that previously or afterwards. But on the day, he he didn't take to the occasion. So we obviously skipped Epsom and we've just nurtured him along here. He. He did a very nice piece of work a couple of weeks ago at Chelmsford with Dovey Legend. Um, I saw him do his last last breeze the other day, and you know we're very very pleased with him. And you know if he's back to his A game, he'd be very competitive in that. He's he is a good horse. Um, I just hope that he mentally takes the occasion of Ascot well, which we hope he does, and we'll be doing everything to, doing everything to get him get him there in one piece. So you know he's he's a very nice horse, and James Ferguson and his team couldn't be happier with him. Um, so there, there are our first four and then obviously last but not least we run Dovey Legend in the Hardwick um, for James Ferguson look he was a superstar for us last year and ran a hell of a race in the Melbourne Cup um, our long term plan with this horse is to get him to the Hong Kong international races which as you can imagine for a Hong Kong based owner like Mr Ho is very important um, so that's in December so we were in no rush to get him back on the track early this year knowing that we wanted to go right to the end of the year um, he's an exciting horse um, he's done everything right first run of the season since last, first run since last November might be a big ask but I think all in all I think he'd give a very good account of himself he's been working really well um, you know races like the King George and the Irish St. Ledger could be future targets as well um, so we'd just be very very happy to see him back on track so now we've got a, a really exciting week um, we have entered Bright Legend with Fozzie Stack in the Hampton Court stakes, but I think we need a hell of a lot of rain for him to come across from Ireland. So um, it's looking like we're going to have five runners and hopefully there's a winner amongst them, which, as we all know, Ascot's a hard place to win, Charlotte. It is indeed, but it'll be all worth it if one of them can come out on top. And um, yeah, it suddenly looks like you're going there with a strong team. Mark, thanks so much for your time this morning. Charlotte, thank you very much. And Jane, just sticking with Ascot, but actually moving on to the threats that it's possibly facing next week. Um, the BHA released a statement yesterday, or at least Julie Harrington did, saying 
At a press conference today, Animal Rising said they will cease their protest activity this summer if British Racing agrees to take part in a public debate about the morals of horse racing. We will never allow British horse racing to be coerced into any activity by threat of protests. Animal Rising have shown their reckless actions at the Epsom Derby that their public promises cannot be trusted. They have demonstrated they are prepared to commit reckless and potentially unlawful acts and to directly threaten the safety of horses and people to generate publicity around their wider aims. These aims include the end of all use of animals by human beings. Spokespeople for the sport have already taken part in well over an hour of televised debates since April. Throughout those debates, the message was clear that British racing is a sport which is proud of its welfare record, which provides an unparalleled quality of life for the 20,000 horses that compete each year and which constantly works to minimise the levels of avoidable risk. Once again, I call on Animal Rising to end their reckless acts against a sport legally enjoyed by millions of people every year. Jane, what do you make of the stance that the BHA have taken on this? Yeah, I, I completely agree with what Julia said. Um, there has been ample amount of time given to this airtime platforms. There's been well over an hour worth of debates um, between both sides discussed on public platforms. Um, I think why why give them why give Animal Rising another hour long platform to say the exact same thing? I think we have. We have representatives of our sport have given an educated, well-informed, passionate debate. Uh, Animal Rising have made their intentions clear, made their beliefs clear. But ultimately, we are never going to agree. Uh, we have to respectfully disagree. But what I reading the Racing Post, um, there was uh, there's a quote that really caught my eye at the very end from. Animal Rising's Robert Gordon, who said the ideal scenario would be that they accept the television debate, so they being the BHA, and then we don't have to have a conversation internally. But if we were to, but if we were to try to disrupt the event, the event being Royal Ascot, it would be similar to what we've done before. So they clearly have no regard for the law and are absolutely happy to break it. And that is not anything we want to be engaged with as a sport that is not something you want to condone or entertain i would be of the opinion that the bha are absolutely right move forward we are we are where we are and there has been many debates i don't see why engaging in an hour-long one will will enhance our position anymore Quite fittingly, after all these comments, uh, today, National Racehorse Week have announced that they will return for their third consecutive year. And Rod Street, CEO of Great British Racing, joins me on the line now. Rod, just first off, for those who don't know what National Racehorse Week is, just explain the thinking behind the idea and what's set to go on between the 9th and 17th of September later this year. Well, we should first credit the originator of the idea to the trainer, Richard Phillips, who I think in frustration nearly three years ago now about some of the unhelpful headlines that racing got around welfare and panorama programmes and all that we know and have experienced said, why are we not inviting people in to show them how well cared horses are? Um, his initial idea was a, a National Racehorse Day 
And, and in working with GBR and other racing participants, we created National Racehorse Week. And this is our third year. And this is about giving the public the opportunity to come and get closer to racing and to understand the levels of care and dedication that go into looking after racehorses. And crucially, for them to make their own minds up. And this is important at a time when there are, you know, this, this matter is such a, a febrile debate um, um, in, in racing and, um, and, and in the wider media. So it's a brilliant opportunity. And the important thing to say is how it's well it's been embraced by racing in general. We, we're funded by the Racing Foundation and the Horse Race Betting Levy Board in a, in a serious way. We have other many, many other co-fenders uh, we have many other co-funders, too many of which I t to mention today, but it, it reflects the importance of the initiative and I think the size of the opportunity we've got up and down the country to get people to come and see what we do and rather than, and rather than telling people, showing them. And you, you mentioned the, um, the sort of huge support that it's received from the racing industry. How's it gone down with the public that are coming on those, these days? Really positively, one of the, the things that we do is ensure that we measure um, what happens and how many people come through the gates and, and, and come to these yards. And we've had attendance of circa 13,000 people at previous events across the country. And we're aiming for bigger numbers this year. And we, um, we undertake surveys with those that attend. Um, and one of the stats that from, from last year was that 87% of the attendees who class themselves as not regular racing fans or race goers said that the experience have positively changed their opinion about racehorse care. And that's what we want. We know that racing fans are going to come and we want them because they are the greatest advocates for this sport. But we want the wider public to come. We want racing fans to encourage their friends to come. Um, it's such an opportunity. I went, I went last year to three uh, open days, one large, one medium and one small. And at everyone um, chatting to the public and chatting to attendees, they were blown away by the the knowledge and the dedication and the passion that underpins all racing yards and other racing operations around the country. So it's just the best advert for the sport at what is, we know, a critical time. Yeah, and it was only yesterday on the podcast that Rishi um, told the story of an, an Animal Rising member going into William Muir's yard or him sort of saying, come on in and, you know, see how these horses are looked after. And um, she was, I don't know if converted's the right word, but you know, now she sort of formed a bond with one of the horses in his yard and follows it round the country when it runs. It's a really nice story and, and you know, hopefully we can uh, have a few more of those coming out of this. I think that's right. We, we should treat the public with um, respect and, 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 and respect their intelligence and their ability to make their own minds up. And Animal Rising are an, an extremist group um, and they, as we know, um, don't like to deal in the facts and they're disruptive. Um, but the, the wider public, if you explain and show them what we do, will make up their own minds. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone's going to think racing is the greatest thing or that some people don't think that racing's um, um, unfair on animals. But largely, people will make their own minds up and I think come to sensible conclusions. And, um, and if you look at all of the animals are, are, are around um, the country that are bred for purpose. I think we can make the strongest argument that racehorses lead the very best lives. And who have you already got signed up this year? Um, we have uh, 160 events around the country. That's a mixture of um, 
open days at, at yards, um, large, small, medium sizes, over uh, 126 of those. Studs, aftercare and rehoming centres. And then the really nice thing, we've got a community events taking place around the country where we're taking horses to places where people don't get access to race um, race horses. And, and we, we, we saw last year the brilliant work that Joe Foster did in, the, in this area and, what, and, and how horses have a positive impact on 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 people's well-being with the work that she does. And we're doing lots of that around the com- country, working with community associations, urban equestrian centres, uh, mental health charities. So um, there are any number of ways you can get involved. And what, given this opportunity today, I would like to say is there is still room to get involved. If you contact the GBR team um, and, and, and you want to play a part in this, it isn't just about opening the yard up. It doesn't work for everybody. We know that the logistics can be challenging. There are any number of ways that you can help us take racing to the people. And the fact that it's been so well supported across the industry and that we're in year three shows that racing is treating this with a lot of respect and with the seriousness it deserves. And just finally, for anyone wanting to go along to one of these events, get behind the scenes, see how it all works, get up close and personal to all these horses, um, when will they be able to book their place? Uh, we'll be able to book from today. And if you go to um, nationalracehorseweek.uk, um, all the information is there. And and one more plug uh, and one more shameless one as well. Thank you for the opportunity. Please share this with your friends. Racing fans, we want you to come and we welcome you. But the more people who are less connected to the sport we can get through our doors, the better job we can do in balancing some of these silly arguments that are being banded around at the moment. Rod, thank you so much for your time this morning. And we look forward to checking in with you or Richard Phillips again in the next few weeks, see how it's all coming along. Thanks so much, Charlotte, and have a good day. Jane, news from Ireland, the breakaway race courses that I'm pretty sure we spoke about last time um, we did the podcast together have done a bit of a U-turn on their decision not to sign the deal with RMG SIS. What's going on here? Yes, so Charlotte, this isn't even news really because there's nothing to report. UIR tracks, so that being Kilbegan, Limerick, Roscommon, Sligo and Thurlis, they sat down with representatives of HRI and AIR, so the Association of Irish Racecourses, um, basically to see if we can get, if they can sign the original deal. The deal that 21 um, tracks signed up with RMG and SIS. That was a five-year deal that was put on the table months ago. Um, and of course, UIR didn't sign the deal. A little bit of a rebellion they had an Oroctus hearing. This has been dragged out, and it's been the talk of the country, really, in terms of our own industry here. A spokesperson for HRI said it was a very constructive meeting. Uh, they had a good discussion. The five tracks are now going to go away and reflect on their positions, and that you know they'll give them space to consider uh, what they're going to do. But ultimately, Charlotte, what are they considering? They've been considering this for months. I'm not sure. The deal hasn't changed. They obviously, if they're sitting down considering this deal, the alternatives aren't obvious, aren't as green as the grass they maybe were promised once. I that's just my interpretation, that's just me speculating. But ultimately, every day that this is delayed damages the progress about getting things implemented for 
the beginning of next year. And while somebody listening might say, okay, well, it's June, they have six months. There's a lot of logistics to consider in six months before the new contract comes into force in January of next year. So personally, I would really hope that UIR, whether they're going to sign or not going to design, to sign, decide what they're going to do and ultimately get themselves the best deal possible because there are five crucial tracks to this country and it nobody wins if they don't get a good deal. So whether they're going to go with the original offer or not, they need to decide what they're going to do. And I hope by the end of this week or at least the beginning of next, we know where every track in Ireland stands with regards to coverage starting in 2024. Yeah, and I mean, I think last time we spoke on this, we said surely they know what ARC are offering them. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put themselves in this position, but 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 maybe they didn't. And it's like you say, it's probably not as lucrative as they thought it might be. Um, yeah, I mean. It's a few months now since we heard rumours, speculation, whatever you want to call it, that there was 100 grand offered per fixture from the arena racing company. Now, that was before deductions, and that was before the SIS and RMG deal had closed, and that was ultimately taken off the table. And as soon as you take off competition from the table, you lose your bargaining power. And I'd imagine maybe the the shape of the deal changed, but ultimately, I don't know. I'm only speculating, but if they are considering signing the deal that they had turned down a couple of weeks ago, that usually suggests that the grass wasn't as green as they once thought on the other side of the fence. And just sticking with Ireland, um, Goffs over the last two days have hosted part one of their top store sale, the Arkle sale. Jane, what's trade been like there? It's been very vibrant. And I can say that honestly, as somebody who was, um, our family was selling and buying and trying to be competitive there. um, The statistics last year were through the roof. They were record breaking. And this year, uh, was on par with that. There was an 89% clearance rate. Um, the average price was €52,000. And there was there was a lot of activity in the ring. Um, it is noteworthy that the top three lots of the sale are French bread. And you'd have to say that from an Irish perspective, that's not ideal, that we need to up our game in terms of um, what we produce here. Um, Paul Nichols and Willie Mullins went head-to-head yesterday for a Galloway horse. Noteworthy that there was three progeny by Galloway in the Goffs Arkell sale, and Willie Mullins went home with all three. Um, this guy came from Trenna House Stables. That's Tony Costello's uh, stud farm, the guy who produced Best Mate Florida Pearl. And last year, won two in the Landover um, bumper uh, for Willie Mullins. So he was going back to the well of which he's been quite fruitful before and uh, that cost 250 grand. They say if you win in the ring, you win on the track. Let's see how King Roscoe Gray, the Galloway gelding, gets on for Willie Mullins. But he did beat off a duel from Paul Nichols in that ring. Um, the second top lot was bought by Gordon Elliott and the third top lot was bought by Paul Nichols. Not a surprise. They have the buying power because they're getting the results. Um, but you would have to say from... Uh, two days of National Hunt um, auctions that the market is quite strong. You just mentioned your personal note there. How did you get on with your with selling your family's horses? Um, my mum had a, so these these this generation of store horses are COVID babies, as we call them. This was the year where we had a lot of um, 
uncertainty and friction as regards auctions because we didn't know what procedures were going to happen. We didn't know if the UK vendors or purchasers were going to be able to travel. So we there was a number of folds left over from this year uh, that we didn't sell. So we had an order St. George gelding in on day one and uh, he made 52,000 and that was great. And uh, he wouldn't be, we wouldn't usually be selling selling stores, but those were the circumstances that happened on, on this occasion. And um, yeah, I just know that there was plenty of competition for the right type of horse and there was some very good quality on offer. And then after Ascot, I know all of our minds will be in Ascot and a lot of us will be at Ascot, but the Derby sale is also looming as well. That was Goss Island and now news from Goss UK with Nick. Well, news came through late yesterday that Goffs had significantly increased the value of their sales race at York's Ebor Festival. It was already pretty huge as it was and had given it a, a rather lovely rebrand, rename. Uh, Tim Kent, the Goffs UK Managing Director, is with me now. Tim, what have you done? Um, essentially, we've increased the prize fund of what was the Goffs UK uh, Harry Beebe Premier Yearling Stakes. We've increased the prize fund from £300,000 to half a million pounds and um, it, it, to, to, to really commemorate Harry Beebe, the former chairman of, uh, of Goffs UK, and it was always his ambition to increase the price of this race to, to, to 500,000 pounds. We've, we've rebranded it um, and we've called it Harry's Half Million, which is, which is uh, hopefully a, a testament to, to, to Harry because without him, the, the company wouldn't be where it is. And it was him that, him that started the, the race many, many years ago. And it's, it's, it's had fantastic popularity. It's in, endured longer than any other, any other sales race. But like all these things, they all need a bit of a, a, a refresh at times, a bit of a boost. So we felt that, that increasing the prize funds, £250,000 for the winner, money, money down to 10th place, uh, held at the, at the Ebor Festival the week, the week before our sale, um, we felt that that would be a big help to, to, to the race and, uh, and to the sale. So it's a fantastic incentive for owners and you would like, obviously like to thank um, York Racecourse for, for helping us to achieve this and for, for um, the BHA for, for giving us all the assistance we needed. So it's, it's only open for horses that are catalogued and sold at the premier yearling sales in, in August this year, held in Dogster at the end of August, um, and then they'll be able to run for this half a million pound pot at York uh, the following the following August, August 2024. So it's an exciting time, and um, hopefully we can uh, we can get a good bunch of horses together to, to run for the pot in 2024. More immediately, and something rather different, is the Goffs London sale. There is nothing quite like it. It takes place on Monday evening, the eve of Royal Ascot. Is we we talk about boutique sales through the calendar. I sort of I think it is the one that fits the description best. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. I mean, this is this is a chance for an owner to to, to buy a horse and to be running it the, the, the following few days at the royal meeting. So it's it's a chance of instant success if 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 that's what they want to do. And and obviously Weatherbees will be there to, to to change the ownership overnight, and they they can be running in new owners' colours the next day. But there's there's a there's an, a, a varied mix of, of of horses offerings this year. There's there's a there's a number of two year olds, a number of very exciting two year olds. Uh, including, including some with some good uh, listed, listed winning form in Ireland. So they, they come to the sale with a, with a wonderful chance in any number of those two-year-old races. There's some older horses that, that can either run at the Royal Meeting or be suitable for, for, for an overseas market. There's a mare in there with, 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 who's very exciting, a good international pedigree. And um, there's a couple of breeding rights as well with, with, to, to, to exciting young stallions. So it, there's, there's, um, there's something there for everyone. It's a wonderful social occasion. The world, the world is focused on Royal Ascot at that time, and it's great to get everyone together. 
in London um, and and uh, I look, look forward to what is a wonderful five days racing and the possibility of having a, having a horse running in your own colours at the big meeting. Tim, thank you. Thank you, Nick. That's Tim Kent, Managing Director of Goffs UK, and there'll be more on the London sale this time tomorrow. Charlotte. Thanks, Nick. Uh, Jane Mangan's still with me. And Jane, where are you sending us for your tip today, if indeed it is for today? I'm going to Leopardstown. I'm going to the Bally Course at 5.55. Agartha is a seventh furlong specialist. She's been placed in a number of group ones over a mile, but she doesn't actually quite get the mile. She's a front runner. She loves good ground. She likes Leopardstown. Seven furlongs will be right up her trip with Declan McDonough, her usual partner aboard. At 5.55, I hope she can land the group three Bally Course Stakes. Well, thanks to Jane and thanks to all my guests today. Nick will be back with you in the morning with more Royal Ascot build-up as well as all the latest news. Thanks so much for listening. Goodbye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Thank you.